0: Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I speak with British comic Jimmy Carr. Jimmy Carr is a British stand-up comedian, TV show host and author. His latest book, Before and Laughter, The Finest Man in the UK's Genuinely Useful Guide to the Life is out now. I'll tell you what it is. is I don't like saying Funniest Man in the UK because I believe that to be me.
1: Yeah, you're basically saying you're not by reading that out. I am. Okay. Yes, you are. Thanks, Jen. <laughs>
0: um, so, uh, did you like this podcast, Jenga? It's one of my favourites.
1: Why? because I just thought he was really nice and, and he spoke about stuff in a very personable way where he didn't feel You were like, Yeah,
0: he's hey. a lovely bloke, Jimmy. He tells a couple of pretty funny jokes, although I've heard him tell those jokes now on other TV shows because yeah. I like I, I follow Jim. Yeah, I, like, but you do that stuff.
1: too, don't you? Well, don't say that like that. Like, you're <laughs> my
0: like, you're more like, do you know what I was like? That's like when you're coming to the end of a marriage and you're at a dinner party, and you're, yeah, but you do that too, though, don't you?
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, it's what you what have to as talent. Win.
0: Give an example. As talent,
1: you've gone all the shows. You can't come up with a new bit every time. You, right,
0: I right, I challenge you. Watch me on Letterman. watch, I know, me, but on you Leno, usually, watch me on when Fallon, you're doing the bit watch from the watch me joke. Me on Ross, yeah, watch me on Norton. You've
1: got two bits. I probably you do a bit where you look at your environment and then you interfere with it and then it becomes funny. And then that's you'll do the bit And then you do the bit. You have to promote the book, so that's you have a to technique. So you have to sort of do a funny bit from the book, obviously too.
0: Look. I think to. if you watch my chat show, you'll be oh. astonished how how infrequently I recycle content. What
1: about when you're doing the twelve steps? Step?
0: All right, you got okay. to do that. That's <laughs> formula. But even then, I find new ways of presenting it. I challenge you: watch me on Norton, watch me on Ross, not watch me on Leno, Letterman, Fallon, Kimmel. Watch me. The on first Conan. Jonathan Ross
1: was very good. I like that. Groundbreaking.
0: Yeah. Groundbreaking.
1: Yeah, I bet the trees. How I ended up talking about <laughs> the trees? What <laughs> bit were the trees? He said, You and Serena Williams are like two trees in a forest.
0: That we must never touch, but we're holding hands under the no, forest No, I think
1: it was something to do with like a, an orgasm and then the trees fall. Blimey. That
0: isn't the first, um, that ain't the first time though, was yeah. it? Yeah,
1: I think, uh, I think nah, so. No,
0: Serena, maybe. I think oh, it was, that's a lot, isn't it? It's the first time I'm on Jonathan from yeah. Ross. I'm just becoming famous. Yeah. The beautiful Serena Talk about Williams. emailing
1: her and she never emailed you back.
0: That's right. Sorry um, to bring that back up. Really,
1: like, oh, it's, it? okay, oh,
0: it's okay. I'm over it. I'm over it. <laughs> Serena Williams is more than welcome to join, to isn't draw her own healthy to, boundaries. Yeah. You know, it's not what so, she was into. Sorry. All right, Should we, um, <laughs> we do this listener shout out? Listen to shout outs. <laughs> yeah. Janine Cobgo, thank you for your amazing podcasts and informative videos. I'm a critical thinker and I've just started listening to your podcast. What's the problem, Jess?
1: It's just a funny thing to say. I'm a critical thinker.
0: How do you describe yourself? Right, person. go. Person? person? Yeah. Well, that's that's unnecessary. <laughs> well, 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 I'm a person?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, that's not giving us any... Fr- <laughs> like, right, we're on a dating website.
1: Oh, uh, This is why I can't do them, probably. You're fair on the floor.
0: <laughs> I'll fill in your profile.
1: <laughs> right, come I can't, on. It makes me really
0: uncomfortable. Like, I'm it, a person, I, likes, dislikes, yeah, yeah. hobbies, Everything flaws. Everything I say is going
1: to sound like a cliche because we're all alive and we all know.
0: No, Jenny, that's it. Right. You try to criticize me for saying the same thing on a chat show, which I never do or seldom do. And here you are. you can't even fill in a dating site application without sounding cliched. All right, so listen, This look, she says, anyway, she's a critical thinker. She's just started listening to our podcast. She finds it engaging, informative, and expansive. They always give me much to think about. As a woman of a certain age, saucy, with opinions of the powers that be, like it, I find your videos give me great clarity and empowerment. I don't feel like a crazy old coot. I've also started listening to your meditation podcast, Above the Noise, and I love it. I was having an exceptionally down day, and when I listened to the first episode, and, and the feeling of well-being it engendered was so overwhelming, I cried. Thank you so much. And what I like particularly about it is it doesn't mention Jen. Yeah, she doesn't. Claire Henrik, I've started meditating with you on Above the Noise. I find the imagery sessions the best, though I can feel myself constantly wanting to meditate like every few hours. I'm sticking to morning and night, but I wonder if it's normal to feel that way. Yeah, of course it is. You've awoken the great power within yourself. That's what's happened there, mate. The true world is coming to the forefront. All right, well, let's listen to Jimmy Carr, who's got a great many insights. He's a brilliant thinker. He's a brilliant comedian. I think he's made a great contribution with this new book. Let's have a listen to Jim now. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's
2: exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology.
0: What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And Welcome to Russell Brand under the skin jimmy thank you for joining me on under the skin
2: i'm very very pleased to be here it's a beautiful show you do i think you're uh it's it's a very interesting transition i love it
0: thank you for observing that a transition has taken place i dreamt about you last night
2: um well i mean listen you're a man with needs and i know sometimes in a marriage you don't get everything you want That's physically right. at every yes. moment, so i understand that
0: you fulfilled, a, you you filled a hole, shall we say.
2: <laughs> um, well, I mean, why wouldn't we say that? What what was that? I'm always, a, there's a weird anxiety when someone tells you, oh, I dreamt about you last night. There's an immediate anxiety of, well, I hope I was good. I yes. hope I was funny. Did that, was they okay?
0: You were in a, like, you were in a position of, I would say, avuncular authority, and I regarded you with benevolence.
2: I mean, this is. I feel like. I feel like uh, that's that's nothing but net, right? That's exactly how you <laughs> want to appear in someone else's dream. That's if you're going to appear in someone else's dreamscape. That's what you're looking for. You Avuncular power.
0: Do you feel like uh, a, that in a in a dream? Do you feel like like would you agree with a more Jungian perspective that that it's all archetypal energy that's sort of dealing with inherent and innate aspects of my own psyche. Or a Freudian perspective, where there might be some residual—I mean, the fact that I'm talking to you today, like obviously, it must have been on my mind as I was going to sleep. But thinking about it now, I did masturbate over the possibility of this, and then possibly—who knows? Maybe that. I, I actually, I didn't because I don't. So, uh, do you think? Are you
2: are you are you, uh, are you off the masturbation? If you have you, because I mean, it's my favorite Seinfeld episode—is the. Uh... Is, the, is it Lord
0: of Their Own Domain? Lord of Their Own Domain. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. Um,
2: of that. But are you, are you currently, are you, are you off that?
0: Yeah, I'm like vegan. I don't look at pornography. I'm intermittent fasting. Death will but be I, a I mean relief.
2: I don't look at pornography either, but for different reasons. It's because I finished it in the second lockdown.
0: <laughs> well done. Well done.
2: I got to the end and I put my initials in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've done this, have you? This book jimmy carr well that before and did laughter. It in the second,
2: it was just masturbation for me i wrote i wrote kind of the i mean it felt like it was obligatory to write a biography in the lockdown but really it was it was a choice between that and a podcast and i took the dignified way out
0: the page i've opened it on jim it says uh, like that you use a young quote until you make the unconscious conscious you will call it fate and it will direct your life like I, yeah did you feel because you are such a devotee of humor And its incumbent requirement to never take things seriously, to continually peek from behind the veil. Did you find the sincere aspect of writing a biography challenging?
2: I I, I mean, I did. I think it's a very interesting point you make there because I think we can both, we're both kind of doing that thing of going, especially with this book now. I'm slightly, I kind of went back and looked at your book and sort of you go, well, you can be very sincere about life and not serious about it. You can, everything is better with humour. It just, it sugars yeah. the pill. So the idea of going, look, my, my sort of, you know, my gift, you've got to lean into your edge, whatever you're good at in life. And I'm, I'm good with jokes. And I kind of felt like, well, self-help's, like I've got an awful lot from sort of the, the general area of self-help. That that bit of the bookstore has given me a lot over the years. And I kind of wanted to put something back. And you sort of think, well, Eckhart Tolle can't write dick jokes and I can. So it felt like low hanging fruit. Like there's no competition there because that's, It's a brilliant bit of the world, sort of self-help and self-improvement, but it's very earnest and I haven't got that earnest energy. I kind of find that a bit difficult.
0: Yes, I'm interested in that and that's something that I would like to discuss with you later. But I'm first of all going to have to address that you used the phrase dick jokes and low-hanging fruit so close to one another that I have the image (laughs) of sort of a bunch of (laughs) low-hanging reproductive organs all jangling together like dreadful mangoes.
2: Well, it's yeah. I mean, it's a it's a great image, is what it is. You're you're very good with
0: that. Thank you're you. very good with image. You were right at the vanguard, I, I reckon, with personal development. I feel like at some very early Edinburgh, some almost pre-TV Edinburgh. Knowing that you were into NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, like one of the tools that people like sort of um, Bandler, Richard Bandler and sort of Tony Robbins and sort of people like Paul McKenna, like sort of espouse. I remember knowing that you knew a lot about that. What, yeah. Is that something you apply directly in your creative content or more in for- making you the man that can operate at the level you operate at?
2: I think it's one of those things where you, uh, it becomes, I mean, to use a very NLP term, it's the idea of it's unconscious competence. At some stage you kind of learn that stuff and it becomes a part of who you are and that's how you mediate the world. So that the, I mean, the great sort of the, the sort of central premise of NLP I think is that the map is not the territory. How you see the world is not how the world is. It's how you see the world. So your perception is, uh, you know, your disposition is more important than your position in the world, 95% of life is how you see it, not what happens to you. And it doesn't appear that way. It appears that things are constantly happening to us and that we're reacting to them, but really are how, we, how we react to the world is everything. And then it's got that like central premise question, the most, the sort of the fundamental thing, the thing that really spoke to me about NLP. And I think it's one of those things where I wouldn't recommend NLP particularly to people, but I'd recommend trying a lot of these different things. And then whatever is the one that resonates with you. So you try all these different flavors and go, but that's the thing that I like. So for me, that central premise of like, what do you want was the most fundamental, simple question, but also the most profound and life-changing thing. If you can answer that in any given scenario, it's better.
0: Yeah that's interesting isn't it? Sometimes I find things that are replicable in like quite particular areas of creativity e.g. acting what do you want in this scene will always help you to approach a scene differently or in the t- in terms of storytelling like there's a lot of stuff that what's the the main man in storytelling called like that we you do courses on the hero yeah I'm actually not Campbell the one that's more directly about screenplays anyway it don't matter cuz he, he but in actually in, in the adaptation Brian Cox plays this guy and I went and saw him and did a course with him and he was absolutely fantastic um anyway like he said this thing that um he said like that the only way of de- like in writing a screenplay in demonstrating love is sacrifice everything else is affection now like he was talking about the context of storytelling but i feel like that's pretty applicable anyway
2: that feels, that feels like we could spend an hour unpacking that that's huge isn't it Mm. It's such an interesting thing of going, everything else is affection, but sacrifice demonstrates love. And you think about every movie you've ever seen does that. But also if you think about, uh, you know, religious stories and what they mean to us. And I'm, I'm not a religious man. I'm, you know, that's what we differ. I'm, I'm an atheist, but I haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Those stories still mean a tremendous amount to me. You know, the, the, you know, what do you get from those and what do they actually mean? Kind of decoding those seems to be a very valuable thing.
0: I'm reading Huxley's um, perennialism at the moment in which he, of course, looks for themes and types that are recurrent throughout various mythologies and scripture in a sort of Joseph Campbell way. But I guess it's some even though it's a pretty popular and populist book, it's a little more esoteric in that you know, direct quotes from the Bhagavad Gita then from the Bible and Meister Eckhart.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, a bit populist. Yeah, populist. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, populist, yeah. No, it's, like, it's a bit like J.K. Rowling. It's just it's flying off the shelves, mate. It's flying off the shelves. Have you seen the audiobook? It's number one. What are you talking about
0: populist? If you haven't got a copy of Aldous Huxley's Perennialism in your home, have you seen the cartoon franchise? Often, uh, yeah. with my Happy Meal, I get an Aldous Huxley little toy just with my yeah, fries.
2: I, I read the graphic novel and I got more out of that. I really enjoyed it. You're more of a visual like, learner. I, I read a brilliant thing... Uh, last year called amusing ourselves to death. Have you ever mm. read it? It's like a, a media studies book by Neil Postman, but it's 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 written in 1984 and it was written about uh, basically the difference between Huxley and Orwell. Mm-hmm. And the idea that there won't be some oppressive power from above taking, you know, oppressing us. It will give away our power for uh, drugs and treats and and, and uh, you know diverting things and the idea that you go, oh, it's absolutely come to pass. It's a, a brilliant piece.
0: Yes, yes. I, I guess that I have like downstream captured a, a little bit of that, that we live in sort of Huxley's um, saccharine dystopia as opposed to Orwell's bleak one that through pleasure I think they're we both, I think
2: it's a, it's a weird... My favourite quote of all time, I think, is, uh, is William Gibson, the sci-fi writer, said, the future is here, but it's not evenly distributed. Mm-hmm. And the idea that we have in our world... We have lots of different things going on. So actually, the the George Orwell 1984 world. If this podcast is going out in China, if anyone can get hold of it, yeah, that's what's going on there. But here, come to our come to the Western world. We've got the Brave New World orders Huxley. It's not like everything's okay here and everything's bad there. It's different levels of what what's actually going on.
0: Yeah. And then there's
2: people kind of popping their heads up and that feel a little bit awoken
0: in a sense that's a good way jim of demonstrating your earlier point about position and disposition that to assume that there's an absolute reality that we're all all participating in evenly is a, a, a kind of solipsism but as well as us having like these very discrete and distinct individual subjective experiences i'm starting to suspect there is a kind of cultural subjectivity that we operate in little boxes that we are afforded and that, that that doesn't just apply to us as individuals but beyond our individuality there are certain sets well, that, of assumptions we live with. one of
2: the things i talk about in the in the book is that sort of how your beliefs change everything like when i changed my beliefs in my mid-20s my life changed um fundamentally uh, and i went from having kind of quite a boring life to having quite an interesting life and all that changed really was my beliefs and i wanted to share that with people that was the reason to write the book to go right well I've had a son now and I want to share that with him and to the the wider world to go like, I can't pay back what I was given by that, but I can pay it forward. That sort of thing. And the idea that, yeah, you, you're, you're kind of, you know, as you, as you move through life, you're kind of what you believe the things, the rules that actually govern us aren't the rules from above or outside. They're the rules within the assumptions we make about ourselves. I'm not the kind of person that does that. I, I I'm not, I'm not that kind of, Um, individual so I will never even try I I won't allow myself to you're sort of limiting beliefs it's one of the things that I love about what you've done with this podcast with your kind of there's a pivot in your career where you've gone well you always kind of felt felt to me like more than anyone I think that I knew you very much kind of um, like identified with that trickster god of comedy so you know, comedy's from musical, and it's from variety, and it's from uh, the court jesters, and speaking truth to power, and before that, it's from tricks to gods, you know, a Nancy, and it's from uh, you know the the uh, Monkey King, and all of these kind of brilliant figures in, in history, and it strikes me that that kind of divilment is kind of what you've you played into, and then that's the thing that I see that there's a wisdom in those tricks to gods. That you've kind of gone oh that's my edge not necessarily the comedy the, the it's the it's the shamanic comedic thing that comedians do that's going to be that that bit of it is the thing that i'm going to move across to this new life and that will be the consistent part it's a really interesting transition that i've seen
0: thank you for that observation you've always been so encouraging to me always jimmy right from the get-go and i feel like um... well i, I
2: I've, it's one of my great
0: regrets that you have continued to encourage me. Yeah, with. I
2: mean, you know, and <clears throat>
0: what can you do? What can you do? A few crunching early tackles, and the world might have been spared a lot of silliness. Like, um, <laughs> like what? What? <clears throat> what I feel like, um, in that regard, is that because the, in a sense, there is a, a culture waiting for us, and like it's sort of. Like people that know you and follow your career will know that you worked in finance and you made a decision. I guess this is the pivotal decision that you refer to in your book and that you alluded to just then. You made a decision to move into comedy. And I wonder if you feel, as I often do, well, there was a, there's a pathway for entertainment and comedy. And if you have that inclination, then you're likely to find your way onto into that path. But actually now, with a, now that I'm older and able to reflect, entertainment and comedy... Uh, As a commodity or really anything as a commodity, although I recognize, you know, this is a business that I'm in that's not actually what I want to do if that profession didn't exist I wouldn't have invented it I would more likely have gone into a path that was connected in some way to mysticism and uh, preaching those are the kind of areas that felt attractive to me but there there wasn't a model for it do you feel ever restrained or confined by the expectations of your discipline or our discipline as comedians or do you feel that you that you have absolute fulfillment within it and i suppose in a way this book is suggests that there are other areas that you're willing to explore and open to but i'd love to hear your thoughts on that yeah no
2: i'm i'm very happy with you know my job as an entertainer i've always kind of viewed my kind of my style of comedy as being very kind of it's it's quite transactional in a way that i'm not i never gave away a lot about myself so i've been in comedy 20 years and people know very little about me they just know, okay, well, he, he we come and see him every two years when he's on tour and he makes us laugh for two years. And I always kind of remember that thing of like, people never remember what you say. They remember how you made them feel. And I make f- people feel good. And they they come to a show and there's, there's, a, there's a lovely sort of tribal element to coming to see a show where you come as, you buy tickets as individuals or a couple or a bunch of friends. And then you come and you sit with a thousand people that you don't know. And there's this amazing sort of shared experience of like laughing together. And it's such a social noise i mean it's much older than language laughter it's like a it's really it's a, and and you become like this little tribe of a thousand people for that night and it's very special and then you go off on your merry way and i'll see you again in a couple of years i'm very happy with that job i really like doing that but obviously there's there's more to me than that everyone's everyone is complicated and everyone is kind of nuanced and in the world that we live in especially with you know 140 characters in social media and a couple of instagram photos it would appear that uh, everyone is is kind of is is incredibly consistent at all times like he's always the funny guy and so part of writing the book was to kind of go well within you know my my sort of media brand you kind of go well you could expand it a little bit and you could be a bit more kind of yourself on stage and I'm trying to change up the kind of comedy that I do as well trying to write longer stories and routines that have more of a point to them just because it's it's interesting to me to kind of to go, you know, comedy for me—the reason it's so pleasurable to do—and the thing that I think others can relate to is, it's a task without end. You ne- you're never finished. You never feel like, well, I'm, I'm as funny as I'll ever be. You go, well, I can do more. I can change the way that I present this, and I can maybe give people a, a deeper experience and, and more fun. But fundamentally, that thing of I feel like you got frustrated with the entertainment aspect and wanted it to, wanted a more um, a more meaningful connection. And I'm very happy with the entertainment. I'm as, you know, as shallow as a tinker's bath, Russell.
0: I love the algebra of the comedy that you are most commonly associated with. I think it's brilliant. And I don't ever underestimate comedians that do that, that are able to uh, create their sort of the arithmetic of neat jokes. I love it. And when, like, when, you know, you know how I write, I think, because you've, Helped me before, and certainly sort of attended gigs and given me sort of like pointers uh, in the past. What I do is I just like I'm like I'm gonna tell this story, I'm gonna tell that story. But when it comes to it, you like nothing lives if it ain't funny. You can't keep, can't stay in the show. There are sort of there, there is an archetypal requirement. Even now, as I become more ambitious or grandiose, depending on your perspective, with the intentions of my show, there are certain rules. Like I don't like being up there if there's not a laugh every twenty seconds. You know, so that hasn't changed. It's not like like that the sort of the mod of entertainment it's like oh, i don't want to do this this obligation to entertain people it's like i just felt like a a, a need for a different type of purpose and fulfillment But well, I it's, feel it's, i'm devoted it's, it's to comedy
2: it's interesting when we talk about your writing now because it's it's like i i often go down this sort of edgy route because you get a lot of uh, there's an expectation there because of the stuff i've done in the past but also i that's what i find genuinely funny that's what makes me like, the gut-wrenching laugh my yeah. crazy laugh it's about that edgy humour, but it strikes me that you're, you're kind of in a position now where you're building a, you, you build up kind of a, a Comedy's about release, and often I'm releasing something because it's a tense subject, it's a subject that's difficult to deal with, and I, I view it as being, um, I, you know, I like to think of myself as a progressive. It's not, um, it's not bigoted com- comedy. It's not, it's not conservative it's it's progressive and it's it's searching out new things and it's kind of you're pushing things and it's kind of you're you're almost like when you when you push stuff you push it so far you almost cross the line twice you push it so far that it's like you can't take that seriously so it's the fact that people go how did you get away with saying that well it was so ridiculous and so not an opinion it didn't matter but it strikes me you've got an interesting thing now because you're on stage uh, you know often when I've seen you talk about you know, addiction, uh, spirituality, stuff that you have a lot of, you know, experience around. And you go, and when there is a lighter moment or a throwaway phrase within that, it's it's such a sort of relief of the, okay, well, we're talking about something very serious that we related to. And then, you know, it, it, it strikes me that <clears throat> you're in a unique position to help because people with, let's say, addiction problems, I mean, the 12-step program is, a lot of my friends are in 12-step, actually, I've noticed. A lot of my friends... Have gone through that process, and it's it's that thing of it's a life examined, it's a life explored. It's people that have really looked at themselves. But it strikes me that no one's done a funny version of that course. No one has done a version of that that is it is that has a lightness to it. And for some people, I think the heaviness of that is a bit too much. It's the the presentation. So I do think it's kind of a it's also something that I think should be taught slightly more widely. Yeah, I think it's it's it strikes me as odd that people have to reach a crisis point before they go and seek it like i i went i used it for i did a lot of Al-Anon stuff the last couple of years um which is kind of the related i've got some issues with people with um with uh you know uh i've got some people in my life that have uh mental health and addiction issues and i wanted to kind of know more about it and it's such a useful thing to kind of read i mean i don't think Al-Anon's even that well known that there's something for you know because when you when you have like a it's a line that I have in the book. If you have a narcissist in your life, they have the disease and you have the symptoms. Mm-hmm. It's often that way. If you have someone that you love that has an addiction problem, then you're dealing with that problem. You have the symptoms and what, what's the best way to go away. And the, the sort of thing with jokes that, that's analogous to kind of wisdom is like, I love quotes. My, my book is sort of peppered with my favorite quotes. There's so many in there. Uh, and it's because, everything else is burnt away and like for me that's what the jokes remain in the show like you're going to make this important point on the show you're going to say these things and then all that and the funny bits remain and they, Mm -hmm. they they sort of they glue it all together and with quotes I feel like everything else everything extraneous got burnt away and it became like a cliched quote but because that's the that's the nub of the knowledge that's the thing and it's almost like the same thing as like the 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 story of Christ or whatever where you go, oh, everything that isn't essential got burnt away, what remains. It's like hard times. Like I, I'm not religious. I don't believe in in a in an afterlife, but I do strongly believe in a next life. And I sort of think it's interesting talking to you as a friend that I knew when you were just all about comedy and stand-up. And now I see, oh, that's died. He's gone. That's been burnt away. He's in the next life now. He's talking about Spiritual uh, spirituality and awakening and um you know he's he's doing the same job but from a very different angle
0: yes and i suppose that you are similarly uh, advancing or at least changing direction when you say you know that you've that you've developed a curiosity around different spiritual programs and i want to talk to you a little bit about atheism because i guess it's a subject people like talking about when they when there's a difference of opinion at least and um and also i'm curious about how i wasn't sure because you didn't directly tell me i just uh, picked up that you know from seeing your uh, i guess now your son's name that you have become a father and congratulations that's you know well, thanks
2: yeah it's uh, it's uh it's extraordinary i mean yes. it really feels like it's i'm very late to the party mm. i'm quite an old dad unless i move to california in which case i'm a very young dad uh But it is—it's amazing. It's that I mean to to throw another quote at you. It's like having a medical procedure where your heart now lives outside your body. (laughs) You sort of go, I can't. But it's like finding an extra gear. Yeah, it's finding an extra thing. It's—it's almost like the analogy of video games really works for me on having kids. It's like I'm a I'm a straight white man, right? So I was I was I was on the easy settings anyway, and then and then and then not having kids is like it's the it's like having a cheat. And then suddenly you have a kid and you sort of feel like, I thought I was all in before. I thought I was kind of uh, committed to this thing. And then you have a kid and it's it's tremendous.
0: Yeah, I felt like there was an energetic spike with the birth of the first one that i've never fully come down from even though there has been considerable variation in the timbre of emotion since the elation of the birth that includes a considerable amount of frustration and downright rage but you never fully have returned from that oh my god there's something else there's someone else well, I suppose it's,
2: again talking about the the afterlife the next life it does feel like a next life it feels like you're in a different phase as soon as you sort of become a father because we're all sort of, you know, we talk about Jungian archetypes, but you're sort of leaning into those archetypes and we're both, you know, um, you know, have something in common in that we were, we were uh, jesters, we were, we were comics on stage, making people laugh, that was our kind of, and it's, it's a very, it's it's a weird, I love being a comic because it's, it's that thing of like, we're out for ourselves, but in it together. There's this lovely kind of, yo ho ho a pirate's life for me. Like no one leaves their job and becomes a comic To be successful no one has that level of kind of you know hubris you kind of leave to go i don't really care anymore i'm just going to do the thing that i like Mm -hmm. i'm just going to do the thing that i enjoy and you know the process will be enough and you know you kind of get into a flow state and that that seems to be where happiness lives like getting into a flow state as often as you can the idea of doing something where you lose track of time where you where you feel totally engaged
0: this flow state and this idea of a next life as if there is you know some es- essential pivot even though like you know speaking personally i do feel a continuum i feel like i am the same person i was when i was five, seven, nine, thirty. 30 like i, I Still, uh, can feel that the the forms and resonances of all the people that I have been. Sometimes I feel that when having conversations with atheists, whether it's you or Ricky Gervais or Sam Harris or like you know like or David Badil, you know, like I talk to atheists all the time, and often uh, Brian Cox, I have a lot in common with my best
2: friends are atheists. <laughs> I'm not,
0: I'm, I'm not against them, <laughs> but I feel sometimes that that you know when you say you know I don't believe in a sort of a life after death or whatever, like for me. I feel like whether it's people that have a religious belief or a, a lack of a religious belief that often what we're discussing is are kind of you know if not straw men then certainly abstractions that are not helpful because when you talk about this flow state um, in a way you're talking about something that is trying, speaking personally in my understanding of these terms when I'm talking about like being live appearing live performing like when it's good for me there is nothing there is a vibrant nothingness I am entirely present like you know when my mind sw- if my mind switches on when i'm performing i'm in trouble if it starts if i if the critical thinker appears when i'm on stage you know obviously i know that i know enough to not walk off the edge of the stage or let a, a like a, a flying bottle and god knows there's enough of them hit me in the face like it's like you know but i'm i'm in flows i'm in a flow state now what what is this aspect of our being what and, and I suppose look you can't ex- immediately extrapolate this into oh if there's aspects of your consciousness that are latent and, and dormant, that, dormant that can be uh, enlivened or brought to the forefront uh, uh, in a way that at least seems to parody or f- parallel what um, the book of Job is talking about when Yahweh is in conversation with Job helping him to recognise that there is a higher transcendent self as in, as personified or uh, uh, of which Yahweh is an emblem, if you can overcome the carnality the dumb carnality of the behemoth, if you can overcome the unconscious amygdala consciousness of the uh, Leviathan, that there is a, you know, in your terms, a second life, that there is a new consciousness, that there is a flow state, that just following, living by the book as a good man, like Job was, living like in the old ruts, is not a worthy life when compared to the awakened, enlivened, burnt away. You know, because Zen uses those metaphors of burning away. Christianity, as you (laughs) mentioned, uses those metaphors. For me, of course. in a sense, the distinctions and differences between whether or not, you know, the architecture of the afterlife or whatever, for me, kind of become redundant. And I feel like a lot of people like, you know, people that I really look up to and admire say they're atheists. But when I hear them talking about their actual their conduct, their belief in ethics and morality and goodness, they are referring to something. this um, perhaps not you. They are referring to something ethical and transcendent and somewhat mysterious. And uh, yeah, we get into that. With yeah, you, I mean
2: it, it's interesting not to, not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think that thing of when you first become an atheist, I think there's a there's a tendency um, for it to be it, it becomes the centre of your life briefly, uh, in the same way as a religious belief. It becomes kind of dogma. So I'm not a fan of that. I I, I don't see it as a cold um, academic. Um, I, I saw atheism as a rush of blood to the head. It's about when it happened for me. I lost my faith around the time. I found it very empowering uh, because it was it was losing my belief that that there was um, an interventionist God, losing my belief that there was uh, fate, losing my belief in anything kind of um, uh, I suppose, uh, preordained. And the idea that you just kind of went right, I mean this is my one life, that's what makes it special. I've got one life to live. What am I gonna do with it? What am I gonna spend my days doing? And then suddenly that that became, I mean, it's the ultimate in procrastination, you know, organized religion, because you're saying, well, don't worry about this life. There's eternity coming up, so don't worry about this. Don't worry about any pain and suffering here. And it was, it was that thing of like, finding purpose struck me as such an important part of my sort of mid-twenties. Finding purpose, finding now, you might say, well, actually, you know, your purpose is spirituality, but for me it was it was going, right, I'm I'm in charge of this, it's just me in this world and I'm gonna kinda of pursue it.
0: This idea of eternity, Jim, <clears throat> it's not eternity in the hereafter. It's uh, the eternal present, like that, if you, that you don't live in a projection of the future, don't live in the memory of the past, sure. live in the eternal present. Like a, and that's a sort of, I think, a, a Wittgenstein notion. And, and, and for me, this sort of... Dis- well, it's, a
2: very, it's a very good notion. I mean, that idea of kind of... Um the power of now. I mean I sort of joke about it in the book cuz you know Eckhart Tolle is you know it's very much the power of now. I was going to call the book the power of later because <laughs> all all self help says I just didn't think anyone would get the joke but uh it, the uh, thank, thankfully you did. The all self help says the same thing. It's all kind of prioritize uh prioritize later over now. You know do you know do the thing so the the idea of kind of uh g- you know getting with that in in my mid 20s it was like it was going right I'm going to I'm going to live you know for the future you know you you have this perception of kind of what i want to be and what the road that you're on and that you know and they're all sort of analogies for kind of we, we try and be present but also with an eye on where we're going and religion for me didn't wasn't helping at all wasn't like a wasn't a helpful thing wasn't useful it's also that i mean i lost my religion i went to israel on a uh, not a pilgrimage but like a, i was interested to go and see the holy land and from it from just what fell away it's the opposite from of the christian
0: perspective or from a... from a from a christian perspective yeah sorry cuz i know it's everyone's well, we'll bloody holy land so like but like um, but like is you still are describing archetypally experiences of epiphany like with the you know that that position disposition thing that 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 moment of discovering that is a kind of epiphany hold on a minute reality is not external reality is internal like the idea of an, an of inverted commas, an imminent God, that, that there is a source, force and awareness within you that if you attune to it, you can alter reality. Like, I know but this... it's not
2: just described, you know, humanism there. That's, that's, you know, it's a different way of kind of, you know, the idea that it's all within you and you are enough and you can do whatever you want. You can do, there's nothing that another man can do that you can't do.
0: Also though, like you know, when we push that a little bit, the categories of inside you and outside you, other than in sort of quite rudimentary physical ways, start to melt away even with sort of biochemical stuff like respiration, like the, 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 the position disposition tool can be applied to the point where even your own subjectivity is is burned away till you become in the world and not of it, which you'll perhaps remember from your Christian days, which are in my mind I like to think aligned up nicely with that period where you had that hair.
2: Yeah,
0: no, I had longer. Was hair. it that I was,
2: I was trying to be like this in a very literal sense? <laughs> I identified, which I think it's a look you're still rocking.
0: I'm really clinging on to it, Jim, we've both we've both it's hands. Good,
2: I mean, it's the thing. What do you currently believe? I don't know what you currently. I mean, I listen to the show and I. I, I wouldn't be able to put my hand on, uh, but do, do you find that, like, it's not useful for you to, I mean, I say an atheist is kind of a shorthand because it's just easier mm-hmm. to go, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in a God, I don't go to church, I don't think anything happens after you die. It's a good catch-all, but it doesn't mean that you don't have a an awe and wonder, and, you know, you have a child and you sort of sense that the, you know, you sense that everything that was written in the, you know, in the selfish gene kind of come to come to be you sort of go oh yes passing on their dna i'm you know being the vehicle for the dna really feels like That feels like a spiritual thing for me.
0: Rob Newman did a wonderful bit where he sort of broke down how paradigmatically the selfish gene was basically the Old Testament. That it was like the sins of the father. It was a wonderful, wonderful piece of stand-up. But like, I suppose in response to like where I stand, I guess the sort of things that I would hang my hat on, as it were, Jim, were that uh, are a kind of you know like ideas such as perennialism that there are recurring archetypal beliefs that are not social but actual fundamentally universal so they're not coming about because human beings wherever they are in the world are having similar experiences so create similar cultures but in fact because there is an object beneath apparent reality expressing itself through the gross and rudimentary fabric of the material world that consciousness is not evolved from biological matter but indeed precedes it and is a psych pan psychic component of reality so like that doesn't lead us to a Christian or Judaic or Islamic or Abrahamic, I suppose, or or even a pantheon such as the, uh, the Hindu or Greek gods, but leads us instead to the idea that, like, it, 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 ever since the um, in, Enlightenment or post Enlightenment rationalist thought believes itself to be at some kind of apex. We used to think this, but then we realised that, but and, but makes the same mistake that each of its antecedents made that that this is the final frontier now what i believe
2: and I, I often think about is i often think about like i had friends when i was at college out of my friend henry nichols who wrote a couple of very good popular science books about sleep and about tortoises weirdly uh but very good scientist very good uh darwinian scientist and we used to talk a lot about religion and faith uh, and we were talking about kind of uh evolution and i'm fascinated by the idea that we're not finished that this isn't it that How this isn't the end of the line. There's no there's nothing to suggest that this is the end. So what happens in a millennia? I mean, if you know, if we manage to survive, if we don't kill ourselves, what happens next? How do we develop? Are we gonna look back on ourselves now as as we would look back on cavemen?
0: Yeah. How, how could we not? And also to, to add to that, that the markers of technology and medicine that are often espoused as the summits that we currently occupy are false markers. Not that because they are not fantastic and marvellous and, of course, useful, mm. but because they uh, they obscure other areas where we haven't advanced and progressed and could in sort of in in Vedic philosophy the idea of siddhis powers powers that are dormant within us and accessible and in a sense these are merely amplifications of what you said with the yeah. position and disposition It's a really thing. interesting. You I mean if you change take it out of the approach
2: as well, you look at, look at, sorry if you look at ourselves kind of culturally if you look at kind of what we cuz I think a lot of our society is about sort of pretending that we're not animals pretending that we're uh, you know above that and the uh, you know being in our kind of minds and then and then you have a kid and it's very mammalian you know you feel like oh right there's an uh, they're, they're, she got big and she was pregnant and then a baby came out and you see it and there's and the, you got to take care of this thing and you feel this incredible like connect to nature you mm. you know it's, you suddenly feel this connect to everything kind of living and going okay we're all kind of in the same boat when the cat has kittens, when the dog has, but I mean, whatever, you kind of feel like, ah, okay, we're all doing the same thing. There's a lovely kind of connection to that. And I think our society in the way that it's set up the kind of issuing um, uh, decay is, that, that's the phrase, isn't it, that they use like that whole society is kind of set up to pretend we're not gonna die. And that we're somehow above this all and very sophisticated and we're not animals. Uh, we're animals. It's nice to kind of lean into that once in a while and kind of go, yeah, this is this is kind of who we are. It's why it's why I think it's uh, it, it's uh, it, it's an interesting sort of trick that we're trying to pull of going right. This is we're very sophisticated. We're going to look back on this and go, oh my god, these guys were idiots.
0: Jim, where are you? Are you in a hotel room or are you in a dressing room? What is that?
2: I'm in a hotel room in Exeter, which used to be a, a an eye hospital and the eye infirmary of the west of England.
0: Nice. That's where you are amidst the optics. And what are you on tour, mate?
2: Oh, always on tour, yeah. What do you do, do two or three a week? Huh?
0: Two or three a week, always.
2: I do maybe five or six a week. Bloody hell. I'll I'll occasionally have a night off, but Really, my problem is that, that, uh, you know, work is more fun than fun. Mm. It's a great problem to have. And I feel like I get to be around a lot because, you know, when you gig in the UK, it's very different for American comics because, their stuff's about being in airports and away from home. But I'm away today because I had two gigs that were pretty close together. But I'll be back tomorrow. I'm around a lot during the day with the kids. So you feel like you sort of you get that life, and then you go out in the evening when everyone's asleep.
0: How did you feel like the first one after your baby was born? How did you feel like the first time you were on stage after that? And was it was it very long after?
2: Uh, not that long at all. A couple, a couple of weeks, uh, no, a week. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 weird. I wondered that it, was it going to soften me. I was I slightly worried. I was like, is it going to suck Because I'm kind of an edgy comic and that's what people, you know. And I thought, am I going to be on stage talking about my kid? And I will be, but it's going to be, I'm the same guy. I remember uh, he was born uh, premature. And so I had to go and buy these tiny little baby, Like, So we've got the tiny baby grows, the tiny, tiny. You can't believe how small they are. And then they were massive. They were way too big for him. So, I had to go out and buy more. So, I went out um, on the Edgware Road and kind of went looking for baby growers and found these tiny, tiny little ones that they do for Premier babies. And, uh, and the lady at the, at the counter went, Do you want the coat hangers? And I went, That's a bit late for that. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine
0: very good very good
2: I'm the same i'm the same guy but it's i still find the same things funny but there's very another good. there's another gear that i found well back to the religious thing because i didn't quite nail down
0: well no you You're, never will jim because it's the, completely the wrong perspective oh well, are you going to uh, ask me more questions
2: yeah i know I'm, I'm interested in like your your because i like the i like the way that you do this podcast i like the way that you talk to people but i feel like sometimes i kind of almost want a i like a little previously <laughs> on Russell under the skin i like well previously he believes this 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 and this so it's i know it's kind of quicksilver in your hands but it feels like it's quite an interesting thing of like um because most people when you talk about them have a spiritual uh, element to their lives say so, well i'm a hindu or i'm jewish or i'm christian and they come from a tradition but it doesn't strike me that there's much what's the label that you're closest to
0: i like all of them i'm in them all I'm in a mall. You know, in the same way... So that was there's... the
2: thing that really stopped me from being religious. When I went to Israel, I felt like, well, if I'm right about Christianity, then everyone else is wrong. But you're saying that's to miss the point entirely, and I should just go, no, everyone is right.
0: Yeah, what are they saying, really? And, and, and again, from a, I, I try to look at it rationally, and as, as scientifically as anyone who is not a scientist plainly can, uh, with just the b- blunt anthropological observation that for hundreds of thousands of years we lived within a kind of shamanic order acknowledging that whilst as you observe still abstract though it seems sometimes that we are mammals animals but somehow seeded with the divine if you consider this light of awareness to be part of some original form some absolute because it what I believe, is not dogmatic other than the solipsistic dogma of being me. I feel like if I went to a mosque or anywhere where people are trying to connect with... There are two things. Actually, like sometimes, Jim, I can get right double wank and esoteric about it. But other times it's just like Sesame Street, that you should feel connected to all things. Try to transcend your personal ego, particularly in the form of self-serving, defective characteristics. And that the result of your spirituality should be kindness, and that your—that's
2: that, that's it. That's okay. So give me those three things again. That's great. I think that's the perfect.
0: <laughs> You're editing my religion.
2: No, but but genuinely, I think that's like that's really useful. Is it? I find that a very useful thing that you've just done that. Well, because it's it's about connecting and understanding, and that that kind of the little three pronged thing that you go yeah. that you go the Sesame Street version. Actually, go and just restate that because that's for me. That's like as a friend, but also as a listener, yeah. I think that really, that's tremendous.
0: You're a good producer. You are a good producer. If you were a less good comic, you would be a fantastic producer. Thank you. I remember that um, from when I've done stuff with you. I already can't remember it, Jim. I'm feeling. I can't, like, I can't remember that thing. No, right no, so listen, thin. we'll
2: just, we just, we'll rewind and play it again. But we're I not love recording that, this. That that kind of, um, which well, it's interesting as well, the, the spiritual holes that live within us the undeniable spiritual whole so if i look at the culture that i live in now um, fame is the secular heaven if you think about what what does fame represent everything'll be all right if i'm famous if i'm rich and famous everything's going to be fine it's the land of milk and honey it's it's heaven right that's it and then and then legacy if you look at legacy and and the way people are obsessed by what they leave behind and people kind of doing weird things with their wills and leaving it to someone or, or people trying to leave a piece of work. That's that's special or writing a book. So you can have something on the shelf. That for me is like the afterlife. It's wanting to sort of live on afterwards, wanting to leave something behind that, that, that sort of that need. So the idea of those, those things are still sort of cropping up in our, it, our, our psyches do have there's the, you know, it's a, it's a common experience being a human being. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, privilege. It's the great privilege is to be alive and to to be yourself and to uh, and then beyond that, I mean the reason to kind of write the book was to sort of share with people the the greatest privilege I think you get to have, which is finding your sort of edge in life, finding your purpose and pursuing it. Yes. And most people don't get to do that. Most people don't get to kind of go, right, well I'm gonna I'm not gonna go down that well worn path. I'm gonna go and find my own way and find what I want to do.
0: Yeah, that's why we mustn't miss it. We mustn't miss this experience of being human. However we want, whatever framework is helpful. And, and my only um, reservation or objection to atheism is its ex- explicit stating that no, the foreclosure on the idea of a different levels of reality that are beyond our comprehension when you did the um, the commonality of the mammalian experience like the cats are doing it, birds do it, bees do it, we do it, like I feel like well look at even in that little graph, the gradients of conscious experience, that the the, the impossibility of our level of consciousness to the cat, do you think as people have thought before that this is the apex of conscious experience or is it possible that there are other realms of consciousness accessible through mysticism and indeed psychedelics.
2: We've all met people with different consciousness. We've all met people that are like some, like I sort of view my lack of my loss of religion in my twenties. I view it as, I mean, you would say a quasi religious experience because it felt like I'd been sleepwalking through life. I was quite a bright man. I mean, you know, if you looked at my academic record, I was, you know, educated, and I had degrees and passed all the exams and things. And I kind of felt like a dummy. I felt like I, I was walking through treacle in my early 20s. I was kind of, I was in the world, but there was a fog. And then suddenly, whoa, the, the scales fall from your eyes and you realize, oh, I'm in control of this thing. I can sort of go where I want to go with this. And then deciding what I wanted to do was, you know, the fundamental kind of the the, the awakening. So it felt, it felt to me like quite a, um, it felt to me like such a, such a wonderful experience i kind of wanted to share that with people
0: yes uh yeah i i, I think it's you have such a, a beautiful gift in as a comedian as, a, as such an efficient accurate and deadly comedian it's beautiful to see it applied I'm a professional
2: in, killer, baby professional killer
0: <laughs> I like that, and it's lovely to see it applied in this form I wanted to talk to you about these sort of transformations. Like just when I've heard you talk about it on Desert Island Discs and when I've seen them pictures, like even on things when we've done big fat quiz of the year in the past and stuff, like I feel a sort of an identification with you. And when I heard you talk about stuff like, you know, your your mother, God rest her soul, although I acknowledge you're an atheist, um, like, uh, and and your even your allusion to dealing with addiction and obviously I respect your privacy, particularly in this, you know, we're talking publicly. Um I feel, a, I feel a strong identification with you. I feel like you went a different way. I know there is a great kindness in you. And I'm, like, and I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to be facetious, but I feel like because you are so professional and as you said yourself, you don't reveal a lot about yourself and you don't... Um, weaponize or cannibalize your past in any particular way i think i people might be surprised by your decency and your ethics because you know you're known for being a sort of yeah a sharp and sometimes aggressive particularly in this peculiar weird time we live in now comic that you know and like uh, uh, the, the stain like that which we all bear our own versions of on the public consciousness of the, the tax thing that happened sort of fits in with that as oh this is a person that's quite sort of maybe yeah. uh, mercantile or money oriented
2: but, you you know, part of comedy is about honesty. Part of comedy is about, like, facing up to this. There's two things you need to know in the world. I think you need to know who you are and you need to know how you're perceived. Mm-hmm. And those two things are rarely accurately aligned. I mean, you want there to be some overlap in that Venn diagram, but who you are, who you know yourself to be and how you're perceived in the world. And actually, if you know how you're perceived, it's quite interesting to go, well, what that's always going to be an advantage if you, you can use that. So to go right, I'm perceived mm. in a certain way. That means that I can write a book about self-help and about a journey and about finding yourself, and it'll appeal to uh, a certain set of people with kind of a, that share my dark sense of humour yeah. and like what I do, but wouldn't want to read a very earnest book about that necessarily. Mm. So yeah. it's that thing of like sort of slightly you can kind of get the message out there in a in a in a different way, and that feels like a. That feels like a really good thing to do. Felt like a... a, 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 a I it was. mean, it's kind of a labor of love. I mean, the book's really written as all books are to myself. It's like a reminder. So at the end of the book, you said I went back and reread it. You know, for the audio book, you have to reread your your work, and you reread it. I went. I do about half of this stuff about a quarter of the time. If I did more of it, I'd be so much more like those little rules for life. You go, mm-hmm. yeah, they're all it's obvious stuff, but you don't do it a lot of the time. So it's kind of it's it's constantly. Reminding yourself of these things, which is again, there's a religious aspect to that. It's kind of the ritualistic kind of going. Well, what do you cling on to? And for me, those kind of the, the 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 quotes from those great writers over the over sort of millennium. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants, and we've got these little things that we hold on to and go, oh, that wisdom. I, I've got to remember that. There's things that I heard 20 years ago that didn't mean mm-hmm. anything to me, and then you hear them again and go, oh yeah, dummy, that's brilliant.
0: Jim, may I ask, with the um, uh, and I, I mean it's genuine. May I ask about like um your grief and loss around your mum? Is it okay to ask about it? Yeah, in, like, with of the- course.
2: Yeah, I mean it's. I mean, I feel like I feel like the question to ask any comedian. I know not many comedians come on the show. It's normally it's normally much more interesting people. But uh, the the question to ask any comedian is which of your parents were sick. I think that's the nub of. Most comedians, I think, had to make things okay in their household. So they had a parent that was, or within their community, within their life. So they had a parent that was either physically or uh, mentally ill. And they had to make it okay. I know you had a similar journey to me in in that regard. And it's it's something that I've placed a huge importance on being able to change the state within my home. Being able to change people's states, being yeah. able to make the mood better, because I grew up in a home where the mood wasn't great a lot of the time. So that became an incredibly important thing for me. And then, you know, losing losing your mother is, uh, yeah, it was a very difficult thing for me. I think it was what psychiatrists call enmeshed. I had a very close relationship with my mother, but some psychiatrists would say it was too close, but you either, you know, you either love your kids too much or not enough. I think err on too much. That's a safe bet, isn't it? Uh, and then so when she when she died, that was a huge, you know, um, a, a huge, kind. it's almost like the worst thing that could have happened. Uh, you know, so I, I remember like the first film I saw was Bambi. I remember that thing of like the the archetype of losing your mother thinking, that well, that's the worst thing. When that happened, there's something freeing in the loss. There's something freeing in that grief where you just go, right, OK, well, it's 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 just me now. I can I can sort of care less.
0: Do you feel a connection to that emotion, to that loss, to the recovery that you've made from it and your new feelings of love for your family and your child?
2: Uh, I think recovery is like a, a strong sort of term. I don't know whether you ever I think there's things you sort of you live with and there's things you get over. And I think, you know, a death at that level, I think grief is a it's I've always liked that quote, grief is the price we pay for love. The idea that there is a, a, a logic, a, a fairness to the world, and when you really love someone and they go, there's, you know, you can't deny that feeling. It's like the, it's the, it, it kind of, it equals, it, it kind of, it's a zero sum. Um, so I still feel it now. You still feel that kind of, I mean, obviously the waves of grief is something people talk about. The, the idea that initially it's a, it's a fucking tsunami and you can't do anything. You can't function. And then, you know, 20 years later, just occasionally you hear a song on the radio and you're in a fucking puddle. But it's, you know, it's it's I kind of look forward to those moments now in a, in a kind of perverse way, but you like because you feel so connected in those moments of
0: grief. Was there a part of you emotionally that connected becoming a father to the loss of the mother? Did it feel like something was completed? Did it feel like part of the same continuum to you was were the connections between those things?
2: Yeah, I think there was, there's definitely a connection there, right? There's, I mean, you'd be, it's, uh, it, it's also that thing of going the kindness that you remember and you go, oh, she gave up everything for me. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. In a way that you kind of, you would know intellectually, but you wouldn't have known in your heart the idea that you go, oh, right. Okay. That's, that's an incredible thing that she did. And then you try and replicate. But I, I suppose, but the other thing about losing a mother, losing a father, for me, it's about those archetypes that we sort of come back to Jung a lot today in our conversation, which seems apt because I think so important here. Um, it, the idea that you go, well, if you lose your father or your mother, you don't necessarily lose the archetype. You have to find that somewhere else. And I think we're very apt to do that now. So the idea that you're doing this podcast and you're trying to sort of have a, um, uh, uh, a sort of a spiritual sort of leadership role that's very much a father archetype it doesn't matter what age you are it doesn't matter what age the listener is it's like the idea that someone would go oh well I didn't get that from my elder because that wasn't available where I grew up or my thing but I'm going to tap into that from this
0: Yes, I feel like people that have suffered that kind of loss that you've described there, Jim, have to self-parent in a way that might be kind of, by its nature, abrupt. And something that for me, has, as someone who blessedly still has, both my parents, has been much more incremental, like the idea of that. Like, uh, and the rec- the acknowledgement, I suppose I'd put it this way, that ultimately adulthood is about, the sort of sudden understanding that there is, there is nothing between you and death there is nothing no one's coming Mummy's not coming daddy's not coming it's you you are the person that you turn to now like for me like I, god the- is neither a placebo or panacea in that space but like the the part of myself upon which I can rely. Although it is often in relationship also, it's the idea that I am not just this uh, bundle of requirements, fears and desires. There is something else in here, and again to sort of simplify it, the idea that a new neurological and biochemical territory is conquered with the, immer- with the child when the child is born. You think, oh my God, there's this space inside me that I didn't know was there. That that can occur more subtly and, and almost continually through, through various practices. I know that's not a question, Jim. A lot of the things I say yeah, are I know, not... In, I don't know not, what you
2: want me to say at the end of the <laughs> Ta-da! They're,
0: not, they're not interrogative. A lot of my announcements, uh, like they are sort of merely offering you the idea in this instance that it must be that you undertook something very early, prematurely even, I would say, that, a kind of self-fathering. And I wonder... How what that what that forecloses and what that opens and how plastic it allows you to be for necessary future I think,
2: change. I think finding finding that somewhere else is a very important thing, and I think people's egos sometimes get a bit sort of um, uh, out of control. You know, so you become a father and you have no parents, and so you kind of think, "Well, I'm I'm the big boss and I'm in charge." But I think. Elders, the the archetype of elders and people within the tribe uh, that know more, that have like that you model and map. So the idea of kind of um, modeling again, it's very sort of NLP thing. But the idea of looking at what you see in your friends when they're being parents, and you look at, okay, what does he do there that I really like? How do, how is he doing that? How is he interacting with his children? But he's not trying to be his kid's best friend. He's trying to be a father. It's a very different. Um, Uh, sort of uh, flavour to that. So you look at these things and, you you know, every day is a school day. I think that idea of kind of going, look, we're we're all kind of, um, we're not in a tribe anymore. We're we're sort of, we're in these sort of hermetically sealed little sort of um, nuclear families. But the idea that we go, we should try and live our lives a little bit tribally. We should try and sort of see what else is going on in the village and how else are people doing this? What's working?
0: Yeah. I wish I'd spent more time. When you asked me just now, like to outline that religion. Another thing I feel is that we need to synthesize what we evolved to do. We need to, like, we evolved to live in groups this size. We evolved to have a purpose. We evolved to cooperate. You know, that modernity is, you know, as the name suggests, a relatively recent phenomenon. We've only What's lived like this for thing a of, while. Like, the thing
2: that I'm, you know, most passionate about is, you know, comedy and laughter. And when I look at the function of laughter, and I've done, you know, some research on this. Yeah, I the, saw that
0: show. That was a good show.
2: Yeah, laughter is like a million years older than language. And it's like, it's sort of remote grooming is the function that it has. The idea that we go, look, we, we can have larger groups that are more specialized because uh, we're able to laugh. We're able to sort of have this connection with other people. We're able to sort of go, I'm not a threat and you're not a threat. And you know, you laugh in that space. Like Laughter is the closest um, distance between two people. It's like, it's, it's so kind of, uh, it's so meaningful to me and so kind of uh, important uh, that we connect in that way and the people that we love are the people that we laugh with you know the best jokes in the world won't be from comedians on stage they'll be in jokes with your friends and family they'll be the little things that, that connect you
0: Jimmy when you had done that thing we know it should, some people might not know but when Chappelle come over here recently you like you, you did a turn there did you, you did uh, like you did what 20 like well how did that work I just heard about it and I just wondered what that was all all like and you could tell us about it a bit uh,
2: well Chappelle's an old friend of mine through um, one of my best friends is a guy called Neil Brennan who I thinks one yeah. of the best comics working uh, He d- does a he's, there's a show on Netflix called three mics which I always recommend to people which I think is the best stand-up special that anyone's made I mean I think it's it's phenomenal it's uh the, so the three mics so the first mic is is jokes and the second mic is stand-up kind of longer form material and the third mic is the truth cool and it's like it's you kind of I look at it and I kind of go oh right okay I mean Neil's about my age and same, but I think there is a kind of father figure element where you kind of look at that and go, oh, you like, exactly what you say. He synthesized what good comedy should be. Jokes, stand up the truth. So I do a bit of joke, I do a lot of jokes. I do a little bit of stand up and I do no truth. And then through writing the book, through knowing Neil, I kind of went, well, I should do more of that. I'll do more truth. And the, finding the mix of those three things in your comedy of like you say on stage, well, you want to do lots of truth but and there's a bit of stand-up but are there enough jokes in there for, for the audience to make it to sugar the pill mm. it's a great show to watch and you know, as i said yeah you know, every day's a school there you're sort of learning from these people so i know dave chappelle through neil Brennan, who he co-wrote chappelle show with uh, with chappelle um so whenever he comes over to london we tend to hang out and party and uh i'll go up and do 20 minutes or whatever I, on this last one i just went up with jeff ross and we speed roasted the the audience it's fun
0: Oh, you did a speed roast. Gosh, those terrifying things. Uh, Jimmy, what...
2: It's it's sort of like, I think doing a speed roast, especially with Jeff Ross, who's sort of the master of that, it's a really fun thing because it's almost like asking a comedian to improvise a whole show. It's almost like asking a magician to do real magic. (laughs) Like There's something about the roasting thing when when you get up 10 people from the audience and you go, right, we're going to roast all of you in a row. It's like going okay, so we've done our training in the gym and this is live and we've got nothing prepared and let's see what happens. It's a lovely, it's lovely. Those bits of a show where you're, it's just happening, like not the material, not the stuff that you're sort of delivering. That's okay. It's a show and we're going to have fun. Mm. And that'd be a night out. But the special bits that you go, this could only happen this evening. It's that guy saying that thing and heckling in that way. And I love that inclusive thing of comedy of like the audience feel like Look, we all share a sense of humour in this room. If anyone shouts anything out, it's all to the good. We're yeah. all in service of the evening.
0: Hmm. Was there any? If I may ask, you if you're comfortable talking about it, did you feel any sort of cultural heat around it? Given the sort of time and that, where Chappelle is currently, was that was that relevant? Was it in the room?
2: I think it's. I don't think so. I mean, obviously, he's preaching to the choir, so yeah. there's no. There were no. <clears throat> there were no voices in the room that disagree with anything he said. He did an incredible routine, um, I thought, uh, about uh rape from a man's perspective, which I thought was one of the best things I've ever seen him do. Uh and kind of sort of slightly threw it away. It was about a 20 minute routine that I thought was maybe the best thing I've seen Chappelle do. It was really wow. interesting perspective. Um I thought it was great. I mean obviously the the you know there's there's controversy around Chappelle at the moment and there's kind of a a cultural war going on, you know, for but, but really, I think it's, it's that thing of going, is it, is it edgy or is it bigoted? Is it, is it, uh, is it coming from, is it interesting? Is, it, is it, you know, it feels to me like comedy lives in this space between private and public discourse. Yeah. And it strikes me that it's never been a wider, <clears throat> it's a chasm at the moment. If you watch the news or read what's reported in the papers, people talk in a certain way, and then you talk to people in the real world and they talk in a very different way. And what people can say publicly, the idea of kind of cancel culture and the idea of, well, you know, if I say the wrong thing, I could never work again. It's uh, I sort of think cancel culture is the new burning books. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I thoroughly approve. And again, you know, if we're talking about religion and spirituality, I think uh, religions do it better. Yeah. All religions do it better because they have a mechanism for forgiveness and redemption and a way back. Yes. And we fucking don't. We're like, you know, if you read, obviously you've read John Ronson's um, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And I've been publicly shamed. I've been that guy. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I, you know, it was lucky that I was publicly shamed over something that's, you know, there's a great phrase, we cannot forgive what we cannot punish. I was um, hmm. publicly shamed for uh, financial impropriety. It's quite easy. You pay the money back and say, you're sorry, you're good. Yeah. Right? You're whole again. Um, but for most people that get cancelled or say something that's kind of uh, out there, there's no way back.
0: There's this weird feeling, I feel like, that since Trump and Brexit, everything's Trump and Brexit. Every issue now is Trump and Brexit. COVID, Trump, like, he's like, you know, which side are you on? Masks, which side are you on? Everything now, fractionalized, yeah. divisive. Everything has become sort of polarised.
2: The thing that I sort of see, I don't know, I mean, I, yeah, I think I think there's two things going on that I think are interesting. One is uh, social media isn't a echo chamber, it's an amplifier. So if you're a little bit on the left, you go crazy left. You go, I mean, people are wearing T-shirts saying I'm literally a Marxist. And you go, motherfucker, are you not aware of what just happened? Like, we've only learned one lesson from the last hundred years, which is fascism is wrong and millions died. But we didn't learn the other lesson. Communism's wrong and millions died. It's it, They're both terrible. It's, you know, I'm like a radical moderate. Uh, the, but the, the idea that these, these kind of that the social media makes you go to these absolute extremes of the view and there's there's very little discourse going on. There's just these people in their, in their sort of separate um, trenches throwing things at each other, but no one's really, uh, d- you know, it's not discursive. There's no kind of dialectic going on. There's no kind of uh, progress. And I think, you know, kind of where are the great thinkers? I think the, you know, academia seems broken it seems to be it's there's, there's only one side in academia now. Uh, and, who you know, where are the great thinkers? I think it will probably come out of, you know, it might come out of podcasts. You never know. Kind of long form thinking and getting out of your comfort zone is a really sort of valid thing.
0: Yeah. Oh, Jimmy, mate! Thank you. Should we? Well, perhaps we'll endeavour to do something where we went to a restaurant one time. I remember that. I remember a time you came and see me in a suede jacket at a fire station and encouraged me comedically. It was a former fire station; it would it'd become a comedy venue.
2: Yeah, in Windsor. Well, yeah, And listen. Any time you need anything, man, I'm there. Thank I'm you. There, I'm there for the. It seems like things are going great at the moment, don't uh, right?
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty happy. Another thing, like, was when you helped me with that show. I feel like it. Like, I sometimes I think every so often the show I'm doing now is kind of more like what you were pitching and suggesting then like I do like I do a lovely I think you would like it uh, sort of twenty-minute bit about like sort of parenting and uh a camping holiday and the sort of frustration of trying to op or operate in normalcy with the paraphernalia of my character. And it, I think you would like it. It was something that you were sort of driving at when we were discussing that. But I'd lo- I'd love to come and see you. I'd love to hang out with you and chat to you. And uh, I'm very well, grateful. All-
2: I'll pop and see you next time. I'm in the I'm in the area. It's uh. It's been an absolute pleasure today. I think the I think this is uh. I think it's a really wonderful thing that you're doing. I think it's really interesting like frequency of like having this podcast where you talk about these things and people can kind of tune into it and feel like it's, you know, whatever it is, an hour, a week of, of sort of, you know, good conversation and thinking about life and it's church, man. It's church.
0: Hmm. Thank you, Jimmy. Jimmy Carr.
2: Praise from an atheist. Take care. Good luck tonight.
0: I love you, mate. Take it easy. Take care. Bye. 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 Well, did you enjoy that wonderful episode? What was your favourite bit? I don't know. I
1: kind of liked it all.
0: Come and see- I like, really enjoyed it. It's specific enough. <laughs> Sorry. Come and see me live. Come and see me live. And Hammersmith, Margate, Aylesbury, Ipswich. I'm all over the gaff. Huh? Ipswich is new. you going to come at that?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Last time I, I was really in that theatre... By theater, near, I
1: mean like an hour and a half.
0: Last <laughs> time I was in that theatre, there was two women sat in the front. They were a couple. And one of them was... Um, she was uh, like short haired and stuff and the other one was like real glamorous right and they were with each other and the real glamorous one dressed in a red dress and they goes oh she's our present to you and I goes I'm actually unable to accept that human gift one for sort of ethical reasons to do, to do with the Geneva Convention yeah. and <laughs> human trafficking <laughs> and also I'm unmarried but I tell you what I appreciate the gesture a great deal red dress right red, in the front row, middle hair. blonde hair but luckily, I've become a uh, saintly man, saintly fellow. And such things now. Oh, they missed
1: out by ten years.
0: You're ten years out of date. Ten years ago, I'd go, "Oh, thank you." But there would
1: have been more competition, right? Because everyone knew you were single.
0: Yeah, that's right. And a, then a it was very, very just, crowded. Yeah, field like there. you wouldn't very.
1: have noticed her probably. There would have been probably five others
0: life's changed isn't it Jen? oh well <laughs> at least we have the sweet above the noise <laughs> in meditation now so why don't you join me on a meditation as we transcend beyond sensory pleasures and temptation to a new realm where all of our needs are met by an ever loving God come and see me on my tour join my mailing list watch my YouTube stuff stay close to me there's no need to ever be alone there's no need for us ever to be separate even for a second Jane have you got anything to add no, why not. doesn't there a bit where it go if you enjoyed that listen to these ones why have you not done that done I mean, hold on you have hold on you have you have relax Jen <laughs> should we get Stephen Coogan to come on the podcast yes no in the no meantime way. if you enjoy this conversation why not, don't shriek Jen people like your voice they don't want to hear shrieking in the meantime if you enjoyed this conversation and don't hack if you enjoyed this conversation why not check out some other episodes Bill Burr god lovely he cries as I'll, we'll never forget that or Ricky Gervais one of the isn't say. it
1: interesting that a lot of comedians are atheists?
0: Yeah, that is interesting. I think because of that hard critical edge, it's sort of maybe you have to move away from the sentimentality of a kind of loving God to sort of critically go, oh, everything's sort of shit and what's the point type of stuff, you know, to maintain that perspective. But I love the law, don't I? Yeah. Jimmy Carr, atheist, Bill Burr, atheist, Ricky. They're oh, they lovely people. Atheist. Are those Bill Burr, an atheist? Uh, I'm a fucking atheist. I don't know, fucking actually. believe what in it. So
1: the other one Tim mentioned.
0: Mention atheist. They don't love the Lord, these guys. I'll tell you that about it. Is em.
1: Chappelle
0: atheist? Now Chappelle's Muslim, isn't he? Oh, loves
1: the Lord. Religious.
0: Love's Allah. Love's Allah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. There you go then.
0: So that's the end of Under the Skin. And I'd like God. When we let's get What is it's too hard to get Chappelle on. Remember when he was in London and they said go and meet him? Uh, didn't go. Just a bit like that. I? When why it comes to doing things, I'm too tired. But don't you
1: think you'll go there and then you'll be like, "That's why I I'm go to I things." I'm glad I've done that. I often get don't want to go there. That's my default. Yeah, but sometimes
0: I do get there, and I'm not glad I've done that.
1: Oh, I usually I'm glad.
0: Sometimes I think I'm at a wedding or something. Oh, but like <laughs> I weddings. could have done without this. I'd rather be playing a football manager game on my phone.
1: I went to a party at the weekend.
0: Glad you done it. Yeah. Who'd you meet? Why? What's good about but
1: it? There were loads of nice people. Who? It went on till 7 a.m.
0: Did you take drugs? Jim? No,
1: there was no drugs. That's why it's amazing. Was there booze? Yeah, there was cocktails. Right.
0: booze is a drug. Don't take drugs. <laughs> Yeah, kill. but not
1: ones, that, not ones that make you stay up till seven.
0: Who are you talking to?
1: Everyone. And I forgot to bring a friend. I Where was on were my you? own.
0: Where, we forgot to bring a friend. Where were you?
1: <laughs> in a house.
0: Oh, thanks for being so... I'm a person, I'm in a house. <laughs> in no, London. No dating <laughs> life. It's, it's
1: too generic. I'm a person in a house in London. I'm a person, I'm in a house in <laughs> There's London. people...
0: Whereabouts in I, London? And describe w- West
1: this. London. All well, right, just it. mentioned one of the words on a
0: compass. <laughs> All right, okay, that's enough. That's okay. enough out of you. Thanks for joining <laughs> us on Under the Skin from Luminary.